Welcome to another episode of Saints and Sinners Unplugged. I am Ken Jones, joined by two of our regular co-hosts. We are still waiting for the return of Aldo. Where is Aldo? We know he's <laughs> busy doing the Lord's work, and we wish and pray him uh, much, much success in the work that he's engaged in. But we are joined by David Menendez and Jose Prado, and we're continuing our discussion on the structure, the systematic structure of the uh, early confessions, primarily Westminster and the uh, London Baptist Confession. We started on the um, where the confession starts. Things we most surely, or things most surely believed by us, among us, uh, beginning with the holy scriptures. Uh, we started with the fact that the scriptures are the inerrant, infallible word of God. It's important for us to have a source. The source of our theology, the source of our belief, is what God has revealed in Scripture. In our last uh, session, we talked about the difference between natural and special revelation because it is mentioned in the first article that God has revealed in nature enough about his character, enough about um, about his attributes that man is without excuse. But special revelation is the sole means by uh, means through which God reveals what is necessary for salvation. We also talked about uh, the apocryphal books, um, the scriptures, the the, the canon, the, the the canon of scripture is given to us because that which is contained in the Bible has been met over over a period of time. Is it has been met? It has met uh, a certain criteria or standard. There are other books that can be helpful, including the 14 apocryphal books that that are available. The Roman Catholic Church still holds to those. They are helpful, but they are not – they don't meet the same internal scrutiny and standard, uh, and therefore they're not a, not a part of the uh, canon of holy scriptures. Um, there should be a distinction between there is a distinction between gnostic gospels or the pseudepigraphal books versus the apocryphal books so if you start talking about uh, the extra gospels that's something altogether different but the scriptures that we have the canon of scripture is is the only source by which god has revealed what is necessary for salvation and it is reliable <coughs> Now, I do want to pick up on something that we we just kind of touched over, the idea of inerrancy or the difference between inerrancy and infallibility. Mm. Uh, We say that the scriptures and what we mean by inerrant is that the holy scriptures, as they were originally given, were without error. Not it doesn't mean that there aren't scribal errors in the transmission, but in the original, as we would say, the original autographs, they are without error. And when people do point out discrepancies, those discrepancies, and there are numbers and certain other things, there are some discrepancies. We would say, number one, those are scribal errors And we cannot assign them to the original autographs. That's number one. Number two, the nature of those errors are not substantial. In other words, 
there is no place where the scriptures say there are four parts to the Trinity. <laughs> you know, so so the errors, yeah. the scribal errors by those who transcribe the yeah. scriptures are inconsequential when it comes to the substance of the character of God or the nature of salvation. And, and that's a great testament to the reliability of scriptures and the and the. I would say the, the the even the process of transmission that God somehow yes without having the church uh, control that yes. and this militates against the view that there's been some sort of a conspiracy by the mm-hmm. church mm-hmm. you know Islam did that mm-hmm. <laughs> they control the copying and the yeah. distribution of scriptures but when it comes to Christianity thousands upon thousands of of copies and fragments you know and so forth independently, different regions, different areas, different mm-hmm. times. And when we put all of those together, like you said, we don't have any significant variations that compromise no. the message and the teaching of that's the right. Word of God. Yeah. And and that is, that's that's huge because, yeah. you know, I write out my sermons longhand. Mm-hmm. And sometimes uh, when I go to read what I wrote, I see some words that I've missed, you know? <laughs> or I, I don't see some words that should be there. Right, right, and it's like, right. whoa, wait a minute, you know. Back in the day, they didn't have over-the-counter uh, <laughs> pres- or prescription glasses that you can pick yeah. up uh, so, so when you local so uh, Or the uh, autocorrect on your yeah, on the, uh, laptop. Yeah, yeah exactly. Go. Well, I have friends that tease <laughs> me. Goodness. Yeah, you can, you can put that on, you know, you can do it on a pad or whatever. Yeah. But the point being is... In the even in the old test in the Old Testament and even in the New Testament, everything prior to the invention of the movable press, mm-hmm. they had to they they copied these these scrolls by hand longhand. <clears throat> wow. So there in in the transmission, there may be an omission. Mm-hmm. There may be a slip. A, a repetition. Yes, a repetition. You know. But it doesn't, as you mentioned, it it does not compromise the substance of the doctrines that are taught. That's right. Right. So when we say the scriptures are inerrant, what we mean is that they that a the original autographs are without error. B the errors, the scribal errors that that can be pointed out, are inconsequential to the primary message of the Bible and see one of the reasons it's preserved that way is because of the divine author, the primary author. God speaks, as Peter says in the New Testament, through human authors. Mm -hmm. And so he he superintends the process so that the message is not contaminated or compromised by the author, the the human author. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So they're, they're incapable of erring. Well, that's where infa- infallibility comes <laughs> right, in. Right. In inerrant means without error, and infallibility means not capable of being in error. Right. So if God is the author, he is not capable of being in error. Right. Therefore, the message, the primary message that he intends through the means that he has provided is an inerrant message. Yeah, Amen. we could say of infallibility. We could also say that uh, infall- the, the scriptures being infallible means that there is nothing in the scripture that affirms something that is contrary to fact. 
Yes. You know, so, I mean, there, there, there's nothing that God has revealed in his word uh, that can be uh, proven wrong. Mm. Yes, there are, and and it's it's interesting. I I had in college, I had a biblical archaeology class, and so that was an upper division class. I don't know why I did it, but I did, and I survived. But one of the things that class has done over the years is my ears perk up when I read or I hear in the news different archaeological finds that end up confirming even some of the obscure historical notes yeah. that are contained within the scriptures. No, right. a, lot, a lot of archaeologists actually use the scriptures yeah. to consider where their digs are going to be. Exactly, exactly. And, and in those digs, uh, there were few civilizations. They say, well, these things, these, these people don't exist outside of the Bible. That's right. Well, they discovered that ancient civilizations, when a, a civilization was or a, a country was conquered and totally mm. destroyed, they would just destroy it and build over it. Mm. So sometimes they didn't see evidence of one people group or, or one nation because they were digging on the top. And then as you dig mm. further, mm. you'll see, well, this, this nation was built literally on top of another civilization. Mm. And then all of a sudden you start finding, oh, wait a minute, these are the same people that's referenced over here or there. So it's, again, when people want to find a reason not to believe in the authority of something, <clears throat> this is part of what Paul means when he says they suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Right. We will grasp at anything to prove the fact that what the Bible says or that the Bible itself is untrustworthy. Yeah. But I do think that's, that's worth mentioning as it relates to uh, in, infallibility and, and inerrancy. But let's, I, I want to look at um, a f- the fourth article under uh, things most surely believed among us concerning Holy Scriptures. It says, The authority of the Holy Scripture for which it ought to be believed depends not upon the testimony of any man or church, but wholly upon God, who is truth itself, the author thereof. Therefore, it is to be received because it is the word of God. Mm. Wow. I love that, that statement. That's, let's, let's unpack that. You know, it is the, the testimony. Once we get through the canonization process and we are holding the Holy Scriptures in our hand, we have to understand this is God breathed. This is God's word to us. Yes. Uh, Paul says something to the Thessalonians that he, at, he, He's encouraged by them because when I preach the word, he says, you received it as you should have, as not as the word of man, but as the word of God. Now, I think that that has bearings on both the preachers of the Bible and those who listen to the Bible being preached. Yeah. I mean, we start with the reality that this is just uh, this is just the difference between a Protestant reform view of the scriptures and uh right. and a Roman Catholic view right. of mm-hmm. the scriptures. I mean I mean this this statement here just uh, simply uh, uh you know lays out for us the way that a reform uh looks at the scriptures and the way that a Catholic does. Uh, a Catholic mm-hmm. looks looks at the scriptures as as 
uh, as dependent upon the church mm, to, yes. to affirm or to uh, uh, legitimize, you know, legitimize you know, yeah. determine, finally decide yeah. on the where, canonicity or whereas, something. Whereas we look at scripture and, and outside of any dependency of man or church. Yeah, that in in the Roman Catholic uh, tradition, the magisterium, the teaching arm of the church, is authoritative over the word. So it is the word of God, as they say, rather right. than this is the word of God. Right. Now so let us say, rightly divide. Would you say it. that the framers they are saying the word of God is self evident? The truth is self evident insofar as its revelation to the. You know, itself, it carries the, the authority of truth internally so that it is not just a community that gets to decide on what is Scripture and what is not, but the community itself is created by yes. the self-testifying and the self-evidencing of truth. Yes. No, I, I think that's, a, that's an excellent point, that the community is created by the truth. Right. And not vice versa. Correct. Right. Yeah. Right. Even though we then say, yeah, now we, the, the, the receptacles of this truth, sure. now we become tasked with defending, preserving, passing mm-hmm. that truth. But they are created by the truth itself so that they're not the ultimate subjects of yes. canonization. Yeah, we, we're not the... We're, <laughs> we, we're the objects of, yes. of the canon. We have been created right, by right. the canon. And by you, the truth. And you get that from the wording of, therefore, it is to be received. Hmm. Right. You know, there's this exactly. of just right. reception. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, man, that's I, – I, I like that because, again, it's, it's a reminder that we are being spoken to by God. And that follows the pattern that we see, especially in the New Testament, where Paul talks about the gifts that God has given to the church. And he begins with the prophets. And by prophets, he doesn't just mean predictive prophets. Because as we see in Acts, Peter refers to David as a prophet. Prophets being oracles of God, those human instruments through whom God spoke. So he has given us the prophets, and then he has given us the apostles who who really codify. Yeah. And 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 anchor what the pro- and interpret for us what the prophets have said, and then he's given us pastors or evangelists who take what has been codified and made doctrinal by the apostles, and they declare the gospel. That's right. And then he's given us pastors slash teachers who open that truth up to the people of God. Yeah. For the building up, and, you know, and of, all of, of these offices and ministration of gifts have been uh, created by the death and resurrection of Christ. Yes. By the proclamation of the, yes, of the exactly, gospel. Exactly. I'm thinking of Ephesians 4 right now well, in, that, in that sequence, right? And that is part, yeah. that's what begins the sequence. Right. And he, mm-hmm. when he ascended, He's the he one gave who gifts. Yeah. And the gifts that he gave right. is the prophets, the apostles, the evangelists, yeah. the pastors slash teachers. Right. And one of the reasons we that the, the centralizing of that, the galvanizing of that, is because you hear people talk about, do you have a fivefold ministry? And they're <laughs> they're separating. Yeah. What God is, what what Christ has put given to us together. Yeah. See, the reason we have the prophets is to explain 
the meta narrative. I, I would say this: if mm-hmm. you have a fivefold ministry, be careful that you have not missed Christ. Amen. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's yeah. <laughs> because if you have Christ, the cornerstone, mm-hmm. everything that preceded that led to Him and His fulfillment. Mm-hmm. Now in Him, we have all of it. Yeah. Through the proclamation of scriptures, which is a prophetic voice by which we participate in the anointing of Christ as prophet. Yes. Because he is the last word he's, of God. He's well, what, what, the you, ultimate what, word. What do you think people uh, are asking when they ask you that question, Ken? Do you have a fivefold ministry? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In other words, do you, um, do you believe in the continuation of the prophetic office? Oh, okay. Do you believe in the continuation of the apostolic office? And then, you know, in the other three, the evangelists, the pastor, teachers. And, you know, it's that's a whole different issue. Yeah, yeah. Um, Man, there are some choice things that I'd like to say, but uh, the spirit within me constrains me (laughs) because it's problematic. And the reason I I mean, my my blood boils when people are so willing to say they have heard from God Right. And know nothing about Christ. Mm, wow. It's yeah. it's it's a way of calling them, calling attention to themselves. Uh, I there's uh, David Brainerd, who was uh, son-in-law to Jonathan Edwards. Uh, he was when he was in college. They were it was during the uh, first Great Awakening, and he talked about um, experiencing some of his fellow students who were caught up in the spirit. And he's trying to investigate this and what's going on here. And he says one student fell out and, you know, when, they came, when he came back and, and he came to, he says he was no more wiser concerning the person and work of Christ. Mm. So his question is that if this is a legitimate work of the Spirit, then why isn't the person and work of Christ illuminated? Right, right, right. It, exactly. I make a parallel also with the threefold office of Christ, prophet, priest, and king. Mm-hmm. When we fail to see fulfillment in Christ, we're still looking for prophets exactly. and priests and kings. And kings. <laughs> and kings. And listen, the writer of Hebrews also calls him our apostle. <laughs> exactly. So it's it's interesting that we have living, breathing apostles. Yeah. Because if we if we have apostles today, then that diminishes the finished work of Christ. Exactly. We don't we we don't have apostles. You know, yeah. we we don't have we we don't need prophets in the same order as the prophets leading up to right. the person that, of Christ. That is what is missing. That that yeah. that gradual progression of redemptive history and fulfillment in Christ. That piece. Yes, that's what's what's really. So even though we talk <clears throat> about prophesying, sure, and that is. Part yeah. of the gift of the Spirit of in course. the coming of Christ, of course. where he says your sons and your daughters will yeah. prophesy. Mm-hmm. Prophesying mm-hmm. is different from the prophetic function prior to the coming of Christ. Right. So people say, how do you know if it's a prophet? Well, if what he says is going to come true. Yes. That that no longer applies in that manner because no scripture, number one, was a private interpretation. And what the prophets of old spoke and prophesied 
everything they prophesy regarding of the circumstance mm-hmm. and what was happening at the time that they prophesied about was searching, inquiring about the grace that was destined to us. So it's all been, it's all happened already. It, if they spoke as a prophet mm-hmm. leading to Christ, they were two prophets, and now we speak with a prophetic voice by saying it's already happened. Exactly. Exactly. We're not saying I'm going to say something that's going to happen. No, that is not the measure anymore. Yeah, we're not. <clears throat> it's not predictive. Right. Um, I've. I have a letter in my desk. I was preaching somewhere. I was invited to preach somewhere in another city. And prior to my coming, I got a, a, a letter from a prophetess who told me <laughs> that the Lord had called oh, me Lord. to that city uh. to preach and that he had called me to Miami to warn Miami of a coming tsunami. And it was supposed to happen. I forget which year it was, but I keep the letter in case there I ever go. see that prophet again. <laughs> Are you I want to stone her. Well, well I, I don't know if I can get the stones no. past uh, security, but no, I, I won't do it. But um, no, it's you know, people are quick to say what the Lord has said yeah. because we have disconnected the function of declaring the word of God from Christ, from Christ, right, from 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 the whole tenor of history. Yes, which is what the Spirit is interested in. And we find our lives within that plan and purpose yes. of the redemptive plan of God. Not that whether or not you're going to be flooded in a tsunami. Right. If that happens, it's for the glory of God. Exactly. And, and I'm going home. Yeah. And God has a reason behind it. Yes, but exactly. That, but that's no longer applicable no. to redemption in Christ and fulfillment in Christ. Yeah, God is not yeah. calling men and women to warn of a specific Incident. The Wall Street is going to collapse. Yeah. So what? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, is, are those the purposes? Yeah. He's, by he's, which we, we've been left here to call men and women to repent. Yes. Because the right. Lord is coming. Amen. <laughs> Amen. But, but came, more importantly than, yes, yeah. that more importantly yeah. than the fact that he is coming, right. which is not known to any man when he will come. Yeah. What is established is that he has come. Amen. The word was made flesh and dwelt amongst us. Mm. So the the essence of genuine New Testament prophecy post the ascension of Christ Mm -hmm. is not that he is coming. Right. But that he has come. Praise God. (laughs) And so the purpose of, of as we work our way through the scriptures is to understand the one who has come. Hence a true prophet. Yes. And those that prophesy. Yeah. That are two prophets. That's what we are to judge them now. And and that being the case, I go back to the statement, if if the the Holy Spirit is illuminating the word of God for the people of God, and in that proclamation, God himself is speaking. I think that was the way Calvin referred to it, that when the word of God is rightly divided, it is as if God himself is present, yeah. condemning sinners with his law and pardoning them by his grace. Amen. Amen. So what what does that say to the one who stands in the place of God, opening the word of God? Mm. You know, how does that, what what kind of bearing does that have hmm. on our task when we stand before God's people on Sunday mornings or Sunday night mm-hmm. and open the Word of God? Should not we approach our task yeah. with the same seriousness 
Yeah. You know, we're not, this is not, this is not joke time. This is God speaking to his people through broken, sinful creatures such as us. And he's doing it in such a way Mm. that his word goes forth with power and conviction in spite of the individuals that's preaching it. That's right. Isn't that good news? Absolutely, <laughs> man. Amen. You know, that, yeah. that he, in spite of us, yeah. he gets his word of pardon out. Mm-hmm. And so that means, I think, on the part of the preachers, is that we have to approach <coughs> our task with understanding exactly what it is we're doing. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I think one, one of the things is, is often, I, I often think about is, is I need to get out of the way. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know. I need to get out of the way. I need to receive, you know, what God has for me and his people. And by receive, I mean, I need to spend time in the text. Yes. You know, I need to, I need to. Or you, I would say you need to get caught in the way. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, as, as that word of gospel again yeah. finds you. And we yeah. are the objects. We're yeah. not this, we're not, we don't control the word. Yeah. We're controlled by the word. Yeah. We're controlled by the gospel who renews us again as preachers. Yeah. In the same faith and conviction, once confessed and delivered to the saints, and then we're bringing it over to the people. Yeah. He has found us there in the study, there in the daily yeah. walking of, of life yeah. with gospel truth, long gospel. He has convicted us of sin. Yes. He has forgiven us, declared us again his love in Christ, and we rejoice to step unto yeah. The pulpit and and declare to folks, yeah, and they say yes, that's true, <laughs> and we should have us that that sense of awe, mm. yeah, and 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 privilege, mm-hmm. as Paul says, you know, that he has called me, you know, <laughs> who is the chief of, of sinners, sin. right, yeah. and yet he's entrusted this treasure mm-hmm. to me. Mm-hmm. To give that announcement to his people or in Second Corinthians 4 where Paul says that he has placed this heavenly treasure yeah. in earthen Church. vessels yeah. so that the excellency mm. would be of the treasure and not of the vessel. Yeah. Amen. I, lo- I love that, that, that First Timothy um, uh, 1. I mean, when Paul says he, he, he's found me to be faithful. Yes. Mm. You know, and... A lot of people sometimes think, oh, you know, oh, you know, oh, you know, Paul is a great guy. That's why he's faithful. No, yeah, actually, Paul is like, he's got this all. Like, I can't yes. believe that he would find me. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. To be the one to deliver this yeah. this gospel. He first declared know. him unfaithful. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> to to <Exactly>. later <laughs> bring, you're faithful in Christ. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he took this this persecutor of the church. Right. Yeah. Faithfully persecuting the church. And then went to the very went to the very people that he was seeking to persecute and put to death hmm. and let him be the instrument through whom God announces his pardon. Wow. Mm-hmm. And still at the at the, the top of it is not Paul's testimony mm. that, oh, look at what he's done for me. Mm. No, Paul stood before God's people not as a glittering testimony mm. of what the Lord can do, right. but right. he stood as God's heavenly appointed representative here on earth to announce the news of the Father to his his forgiven children. Yeah. 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 And and I think as 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 ministers we we're always looking for you know we should always try to improve our message but isn't that what we want we want to be clear yeah. that we are not preaching us mm-hmm. and we want to be clear 
that at the end of it, even if you're walking your way through the heaviest part of the law, Mm. the purpose of the gospel message is to announce God's grace to his forgiven people. We don't beat them up. Yeah. We, we, we undress them with the law. We, we don't beat as, them up because no. if, if now they just, they're still alive. We just killed them and, and, yes, and then make ex- them alive. Yes, exactly. <laughs> we can't just and give them a beating. Slay them, <laughs> let the law do yeah, the work. Exactly. But yeah. everyone that you tear down, it's a gospel message. It's not just a biblical mm-hmm. exposition. Mm-hmm. It's a gospel sermon. Right. And, we don't, and we don't preach with the goal to making them do what we want no. them to do. no. no. We bring them as as they are slain mm-hmm. by the slain by the law. Mm-hmm. We resurrect them through the gospel Amen. that they would walk in the newness of life. Yes. Amen. But what does that say about the listener? When we come to church, that yeah. it shouldn't just be casual listening. And I want to say this: if you think you have issues with your church or with your pastor, do you realize that when you if if you believe this Bible to be the authoritative word of God? And that is the means by which God regularly communicates his grace to you. Then you're sitting there. You may have had a disagreement with your pastor in a meeting. You may not like this or whatever. But when that word is open, you are supposed to be listening to the God of creation. Yes. Yes. And also discerning whether what's being spoken Absolutely. is the truth and, and, and the gospel. Which goes back to what mm-hmm. we were saying before. Yeah. There is accountability. Yeah. This is the, the reason for the care on the part of the shepherd in the word that we open is because the sheep are trusting yeah. that what you're opening has come from the chief shepherd. Yeah. Yes. And Jesus says, my sheep know my voice. Mm. Yeah. So... Preach his word and let the sheep listen. And John says they have an anointing. All of you, yes, not just the preacher. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and le- listen with that anointing. Exactly. So that when you listen, mm-hmm. if you do hear something that goes off, it's because you're listening for what's true. Mm, there you go. You're listening for yeah. God to say, I love you. I gave my son for you. Your sins, even those sins are forgiven. Man. Well, we we began with the formal principle of scripture and ended with the material principle of the Reformation. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just just that's you great. Know, Wonderful. Just as you were saying. They go saying, back and forth. <laughs> as you were saying that, Ken, I just I just thought of Jesus' words that, you know, uh man shall not live from of, of bread alone. Yeah. But out of every word proceeds, that proceeds from the mouth of God. <sighs> you know. And uh as a listener as a listener. You know what? Some of the worst listeners are pastors. Yes. You know, I, I, I say that as, as, right. as guilty myself because I'm so critical, you know? Yeah. Um, but as a listener, you know, to understand that, man, what I'm receiving is, is food yeah. for my soul. Yes. That's right. you know? Amen. And, and therefore, if, if a stone is mixed in, it's going to be because you were expecting bread. Mm. I want to close with this. I, I, I love this film. Uh, it was a documentary on Mr. Rogers. And Mr. Rogers, if you haven't seen the film, is really worth watching. He was a pres- ordained Presbyterian minister. And he said when he was in seminary, he and his wife, they went with another couple to visit a church. And he was sitting there listening as a seminarian. He was judging the, the word. It wasn't 
the way that he would ordinarily hear it. And so he had already determined, ah, this guy doesn't know. This is what I'm learning. And so as as he was about to turn to uh, the person that brought them, the couple that, that brought them, he was about to turn and make a critical statement to them. And he looked over and he saw that the person was, was just broken to tears. <laughs> wow. And and it just it stopped him in his tracks because as he's listening with a critical ear to someone who maybe comes from a different tradition from him, a sheep was being ministered to. Tears don't mean everything, but in that transaction, a sheep was hearing from the shepherd and he was listening as something other than a sheep. Yes. And sometimes in our listening, we we bring our own issues and our, and our own prejudices. Sometimes yes. people will sit in the pew and listen with the intent of being rebellious. Yes. Yeah. yes. And they're doing it in the face of the God who loves them. Yes. Yeah. It's God who's ministering his word to us through the means that he has chosen, yes. which is why we have to be careful in both our proclamation and our receiving of it. Yes. Amen. Well, that's all the time we have for today. We will pick up this conversation uh, next time as we continue to look at the structure of our Protestant confessions of faith. Look forward to joining you next time.